hello there, sons and daughters, all of the uh, listeners of Sons of Saturday, welcome back. It is Sunday, March 29th, we are in day 13, 14 of quarantine, I'm not really sure what day it is, I think uh, the only days that we are keeping track of at this point are yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We have a very awesome guest coming on in a little bit, and uh, I'm sure all of Hokie Nation will really enjoy it, Bill Roth joined uh, Grayson and myself. Uh, He's in sunny Florida. Grayson is in Los Angeles, and I'm in New Jersey, but we made it work. Shout out to our friends at Skype. But Gray, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great, Pat. It's it's a beautiful day here in sunny Los Angeles. Uh, Unfortunately, I don't feel good about going outside. I think a little bit later, after we're done with the show, I may try and walk around my neighborhood, get some fresh air, but I'm doing well, man. You hanging in there? We're doing what we can. It's good to be with the family is all, uh, all I'm going to say. I'm lucky that they live close to, uh, to Northern Virginia. But uh, we got to start this episode off like we start off all episodes with a hooky haiku. And believe it or not, we got some awesome submissions and we're going we're gonna to read all of them because they were all uh, pretty fun, all having to do with our friend Bill Roth, former voice of the Hokies. Started off with Randito, a.k.a. Father of Grayson. First question for Bill. Was Grayson your best student? That is what he says. For those who don't know, Grayson, and you will know after listening to this episode, Grayson uh, was a student of Bill Roth in the uh, the comm program. By the way, Dad, I, I never said that I was, I was Bill Roth's best student, but I digress. Uh, moving right along. Our second Ahoki Haiku submission comes from Ryan Hartman, and I quote, Roth is a legend. Let me hear a touchdown tech. Some real silky pipes. Poetry. That was fantastic. Great right? haiku. Thank you. From, Thank you. Great haiku from the heart daddy. And then number three, our guy Grant Watson writes in, Bill Roth is my dad. Sons. Tyra did it, Mikey. Best words ever said. You know what's funny, Grant? That was fantastic haiku. So fantastic that I don't know if you saw, but Bill Roth responded to your to your tweet back to us and said he was unaware that he was your father. But um, <laughs> now, 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 he, now he now he knows. So <laughs> before we get to Bill, have just a couple a uh, couple bits of news, some notes, some quotes. You know, a little bit of Main Street Pharmacy love here. But first of all, got to talk about The Rewatchables, a new series that we are uh, kind of piloting here with the Sons of Saturday, having all this free time, watching a few games from the years of Hokie Past. Uh, Over the past week, we watched the 2009 Chick-fil-A Bowl, where we gave the Tennessee Vols a beatdown 37-14 in Atlanta with Tyrod and Ryan Williams. Uh, we had a we had a blast recording that we had a blast uh, watching that again. Thank you for everyone who listened. It was you know our first go at it, so definitely trying to iron out some kinks and figure out some other uh, elements that we might alter or change down the line. But the feedback has been positive, and we will be doing another rewatchable this week. Uh, looking like we're going to do a basketball rewatchable. So you know if you have any submissions we'll probably run a poll out on twitter on monday please uh, get back to us with that we also want to take this time to remind everyone to stay inside wash your hands practice social distancing 
and to support your local businesses. Main Street Pharmacy has been serving Blacksburg and the surrounding communities since 2016. Their pharmacists and friendly staff will treat you like family. They are ready to answer any and all of your questions. They also have hand sanitizer, homemade hand sanitizer, and toilet paper on the shelves. So if you are going to leave your house and you live in the town of Blacksburg, the only reason you should be leaving your house is to go see our friends down at Main Street Pharmacy. And like Billy Ray says, tell them the sun sent you. So some things we want to talk about in the news that have happened over the past week. Number one, and you know we're not too happy about it, but that's just the way it is today. Travion Henderson, uh, one of the top running backs in the country, one of the top recruits from the state of Virginia, from Hopewell, committed to that school in Ohio. We're all disappointed by this. He didn't include us in his uh, top five video. This staff threw the kitchen sink at Travion Henderson, and I, I feel like this is one of the dudes we recruited harder than any other recruit in recent memory um you know students were putting up banners around town and i just know that the visit went really well and at the end of the day these kids uh, on their visits they don't know what they're going to eat for breakfast tomorrow you know these are 17 18 year old kids they're making decisions based on you know some things that Maybe may not be long-term decisions. You see a lot of guys leaving the state of Virginia, you know, Devin Ford or Ricky Slade, and they're not getting that immediate playing time that Henderson would be getting at Virginia Tech. Um, the sky is not falling. There are a lot of other talented players from the 2021 class that we can go after and that are, you know, giving Virginia Tech a very strong consideration. You know, Landon Watson and Naquan Brown, we have to get Tristan Lee and Tony Grimes on campus, uh, you know, at some point when campus reopens. But I'm going to say this. We're down right now, but we are not out. Virginia Tech was not born on five-star talent. And we're more so known for being blue-collar and having those three stars and those four stars and, uh, you know, grinding them out and putting out talent in the NFL. I think momentum's going to swing back our way. We got Jay Ham on Twitter. We got Bo on Twitter, Tyree Saunders tweeting out uh, some positive stuff. I just think we need a commit right now, honestly. We just need a commit for some positive momentum, uh, you know, on the staff, in the recruiting class, and most importantly for us, at least, on social media, because that's what we see uh, immediately. I think the most important thing for people to remember is is that Rome was not built in a day, and I I, I know we've said that a hundred times over on this podcast, but it, and believe believe us, guys, the Suns of Saturday are just as frustrated as anybody else. We we wanted Henderson as much as anybody else out there. We didn't get him. And that's that's tough and that's that's a harsh reality, but okay, we gotta move on. Like Pat said, we're not we're not a blue blood program that was built on five star recruits. With the exception of one or two, like Tyrod Taylor, Kendall Fuller, Kevin Jones, those guys, I mean, that's over 20 years. And I think I can count the number of five-star commits that we've gotten on my hand. So I'm I'm a believer in this coaching staff. I think going forward, we'll, we'll get some good four-star commits and – at the end of the day, if you want five stars, you got to win games. Right now, the sex appeal of our program is, well, we were 
six and seven a year ago, and then eight and five last season. So I get it. These blue these blue chip kids want to go play for a, a team where they have a shot at playing for a national championship. It makes sense to say that we will not get there one day. I don't think is is fair because I think that we're on the brink. Trust the process. Make sure that our expectations are realistic for the time being, and we're going to be all right. I promise we're going to be okay. And just to put a bow on this uh, recruitment, following this recruitment, Travion Henderson's brother, Ronnie Walker, is a uh, former recruit from UVA, went to go play at Indiana, is now in the transfer portal, and all signs are pointing to him playing at the University of Virginia. So if there's one person that Travion Henderson probably wants to play with at the next level, uh, it would probably be his brother. So maybe that's why UVA made the list over Tech. I don't know. That's all speculation. But, uh, you know, students... You guys put out those signs. That was awesome. We love the excitement, and we'd love to do that again You know, when we get more awesome talent on campus in the future. Moving along here, we have some new merchandise on Sons of Saturday. Go to sonsofsaturday.com. We have tons of new heat. Everything from coffee mugs to baby bibs, bucket hats, new dad hats that say cold drinks waiting. Shout out Coach Young. Uh, we got some new t-shirts, some new black crewnecks and hoodies that say Sons of Saturday as well. Actually, just ordered mine, so go check that out. And lastly, to cap off this intro before we get into the interview with Bill Roth, the SOS Power Hour that we did yesterday was an absolute blast. Shout out to everybody who came out and, and was a part of that, the, inaugur- the inaugural SOS Zoom meeting. That was uh an experiment, a trial run. We had some kinks we had to work out, but we'll get those figured out as time goes on, and we can't wait to do that again. So without further ado, Pat, let's get right into this interview with Bill Roth. Boom. Sons and daughters, we have a very, very special guest on the podcast with us today. This individual is an 11-time Sportscaster of the Year as voted on by the National Sports Writers and Sportscasters Association. In 2013, he was inducted into the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame for his work as the voice of the Hokies, a position he held for 27 years, calling games for a variety of sports, most notably Virginia Tech football and Virginia Tech men's basketball. In the spring of 2015, he left Blacksburg to accept a job doing the exact same thing at the time-honored University of California, Los Angeles. After one year, he returned home to Blacksburg to become a professor of practice in Virginia Tech's College of Liberal Arts and Human Sciences, where he currently uses his three decades of experience to help shape the minds of tomorrow's sports and media broadcasters. Ladies and gentlemen, he needs no introduction, Mr. Bill Roth. And from the blue waters of the Chesapeake Bay to the hills of Tennessee, the Sons of Saturday are on the air. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, my awesome. gosh. Ladies and gentlemen, Bill Roth. That is absolutely incredible, Bill. First off, welcome to the podcast. How the heck are you doing in quarantine in Fort Lauderdale, Florida? Yeah, so I have a house in Blacksburg, and we have a condo down here. So I've decided during this uh, tough t- pandemic to isolate at the beach, which is, you know, it's it, 
in all, in all seriousness, first of all, thank you for having me and for asking me on. I'm proud of you guys for putting this together. And, and Grayson, you're doing a really nice job with this. Um, you know, this was kind of a really weird town because I left, I went up to the ACC tournament in Greensboro and all the spring breakers were here. And so I, <laughs> and they were on the beach. I'm sure you've seen the video. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and Broward County is a big county and, and, and there's a lot of people that are going to get sick and already are down here. So uh, I'm staying inside. To answer your question, I'm way up high in the air. And other than the occasional trip to Publix and uh, Los Olas Liquors, I'm, uh, for the most part, just staying inside. Well, I mean, I think that's worth it. You take that trip to Publix, you get you a pub sub. I know a little bit about that. Pub subs are absolutely delicious. So I'd, I'd say that they're worth, worth risking your life for. <laughs> I don't know about that, but <laughs> hey, if we can keep some people company uh, during this time, everyone's coming up with incredibly unusual things to do to pass time. And... You know, I, for example, I've already mastered online Yahtzee, so this seems to be the next logical step for uh, passing some time. Visit with you guys. Well, we're happy to do it. We're happy to get you off the online Yahtzee, uh, off the online Yahtzee grind. I personally can't relate. I think it's just been Netflix and podcasts for me, but we're going to jump right into this. We have a lot of questions for you, just kind of from the very beginning all the way to where you are now. So, to start, we know that you grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. What made a young Bill Roth want to be a sports broadcaster? Well, it was a great time to be a Pittsburgh kid because the Pirates were winning World Series and the Steelers won four Super Bowls. And it was a town that had great sports. Even the Pitt Panthers, Danny Marino was there and they won a the national championship. So I grew up going to those games, but my heroes, Grayson, were always the announcers. I, I was always more interested in who was calling the game. Not that I wasn't a fan of Willie Stargell or Terry Bradshaw or people like that, but I was always interested in broadcasting. And I know this will come as a great shock to you. <clears throat> I was not a great athlete <clears throat> uh, <laughs> as a high school student. Uh, a very, very below average. So uh, <clears throat> this seemed to make sense. From there, Bill, we know that you graduated from Syracuse's Newhouse School of Communication, which is a highly revered uh, school in communications and journalism. Everyone's got their own story of how they wound up in Blacksburg, Virginia. How did you end up getting down to the New River Valley? Well, it, it, it's easy. That's an easy story to tell. You can con- connect the dots here pretty well. I graduated from Syracuse and my first job uh terms of full-time employment was at Marshall. Uh, David Brain, who was the athletics director there, interviewed me because they had a broadcast opening. And I wanted to do play-by-play. So, you know, when I graduated at, in, in that spring, I'd done some freelance work. I did some lacrosse for ESPN and for a local station at Syracuse. And I had two job offers, uh, Channel 9 in Syracuse, Weekend Sports Reporter, or the voice of the Marshall Thundering Herd. And I always wanted to do games. And David took a flyer on me. I was 21 years old. I had just graduated from Syracuse and he brought me to Huntington. And while I was there, obviously five or six months into that, David came to Virginia Tech. And then in the spring of 88, I was only in Huntington for however many months that was, seven months. Uh, David just said, do you want to come down? And it was, I remember the phone call like it was yesterday, fellas. It was one of the happiest days because that's really what I wanted to do, be a voice of a major college team. And clearly, tech today is not what it was back then. It's grown exponentially, athletically and institutionally. Uh, but I remember vividly uh, the phone call from Dave saying, do you want to come? And there was no interview. There was no resume. There was no <laughs> background check. It was, it was a less than a 30-second phone call. So 
So when you first arrived in Blacksburg and you you took the job as the voice of the Hokies, did you have a, a, a greater vision? What was that greater vision? Or did you just want to stay in Blacksburg? Was that part of the plan all along? Well, first of all, I just didn't want to screw up because everybody else that was doing, you know, we were a Southern independent at that point with Florida State and South Carolina and teams like that. And, you know, the, the announcers at those schools were older than my parents. I mean, they were as old as my grandparents. And I'm like, what am I doing? I'm 22 at that point, And I just didn't want to screw it up. I always wanted to be the voice of a team. Growing up in Pittsburgh, my heroes were the guys that did those games and people like Woody Durham at North Carolina on the collegiate landscape or Kay Wood Ledford at Kentucky. And I thought that just don't screw this up. Let's see where we can take it because I felt tech had great potential. It reminded me so much of Penn State, you know, the way it looked topographically. You drive forever through nothing and then you come across this massive football stadium. And then you get there and it's nirvana. It's like everybody's on the same page. And, and you know, the timing was, it was just perfect for me because Coach Beamer was just getting going. I thought we could turn it into a real good uh, the, the regional radio and television operation with weekly TV shows and expand programming and build the radio network. And, and it worked great. Coach Beamer totally bought into whatever we asked he wanted to do from a show standpoint, whether it was recruiting shows or expanding the Hokie hotline to two hours, to getting players or assistant coaches. I mean, whatever I ever asked, he said yes. And and I fell in love with it, obviously. The people who were there, my bosses, our fans. I love traveling around the state and, and getting to know people. And, and so it became my home. And, you know, it's funny, you guys, it, like – Every five or six years, something major would happen to make it a tremendously better job, like getting into a new conference, whether it was the Big East or the ACC, or, or, or being, you know, nationally ranked in football for all those years. So, uh, it, the job got better and better uh, over the years. It was just a real fun time for me, and I learned a lot. And met all, obviously all my closest friends or Hokies, or at least went to Tech or had something to do with Tech. So you ended up staying in Blacksburg for 27 years and keeping that job as the voice of the Hokies throughout that time. You've seen it all. You've seen a lot. You saw the first years of Beamer where things weren't so hot. Then you saw when we joined the Big East and all the way through the Vic years and so on and so forth. What was your favorite memory throughout that time? And what would you say the lowest point of those 27 years were? You know, that's a really hard question. That's like asking who's your favorite son or grandson or who's your favorite nephew because there's so many. Um. You know, on the field, I think a lot of folks know the Jim Druckenmiller Miller to, to Jermaine Holmes pass and catch in Charlottesville in 95. That was a game the Tech had to win to clinch a Sugar Bowl bid. If the Hokies don't make that comeback and Druck and Holmes don't make that play, we don't go to the Sugar Bowl. And if we don't go to the Sugar Bowl and beat Texas, I don't know that we would have gone to the Orange Bowl the next year. You know, there, it was, it, there was a lot of things riding on that because it wasn't fair. The Big East champion was not guaranteed a spot back and then in the, what was called the Bowl Alliance. So that game was big. I think beating the Virginia Tech-Miami game in 03 when D'Angelo Hall stripped Roscoe. Go ahead. You can say it, Grayson. Give it to me, Roscoe. Give it to me. That was in 03. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, the Nebraska game, the Tyrell or uh, Tyra Taylor, Darrell Roberts play, that stands out. And I'll be honest, you know, a lot of people don't talk about it. I think the best win Tech might have had in the Beamer era was the game at Ohio State. Uh, in 2014, oh, yeah. because, you know, that, that, that team went on to win the national championship. That was one of the, not only was that a national championship team, that might've been the greatest team in Ohio state history. And I've talked to some people I've worked this past year. I worked with a guy that played there and to this day, 
you know, the 68 Ohio State teams considered the best team they've ever had uh, only because they never lost. And they won the Rose Bowl and they won the national championship. And that was Woody Hayes. And if you look at the great coaching staff that team had and whatnot, like everybody became a Big Ten head coach that was an assistant on that team. But if you go back and look at the 2014 Ohio State roster and look at that coaching staff, I mean, Meyer's gone, but, you know, one guy's coaching Texas. I mean, you look look around who, who the Hokies beat that night. Don't much, just look at the players that are NFL stars and future NFL Hall of Famers. But that national championship team has head coaches now everywhere. And so I think that game was big. Um, you know, off the field, I will tell you this. In, in 2004, after Tech clinched its first ACC title, in Miami, we had a suite at a at a hotel, the Marriott in Miami, and we had about twenty five friends and family came over. Remember the game Brian Randall hits Eddie Royal on that pass? Yep. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. Well, we didn't go back with the team. I'm not sure why we didn't, but we ended up in a, in a suite. And I'm telling you, it was one of the most fun nights uh, in Miami. So that was the highs, and there's so many. I'm, I'm sure I, I missed a bunch. You know, today is the twenty. We're taping this on Sunday. Today's the twenty fifth anniversary of the Hokies NIT championship team. Uh, in New York. Is that right? The Ace Custis squad. Yeah, 25 years ago today. And the low point would be April 16th. I think anybody that was in, has been on campus or involved with the Hokies over the last half century would probably understand why. I think that's, uh, I think that's a very fair assessment. So, Bill, talk to us about some of your favorite Hokie teams of all time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Grayson's giving me the no-no. Talk to us is not, is not a... Uh... Where's my air horn? Where's the air horn? Get that air horn. Put that one in the blooper reel. <laughs> hey, I, I was in the business school. <laughs> okay. So, Bill, on Hokie Twitter, fans have been talking about some of the best teams out there in Hokie history. Aside from the 1999 and the 2000 teams that had Michael Vick as your signal caller, who would you say are your top three uh, teams of all time? And we know that you have a very different perspective, you know, because you know some of these guys personally, but uh, just off the top of your head. Well, I love them all, just so you know. Uh, I've enjoyed getting to know these kids and their families, and now they're kids' kids. Um, we had two teams at Tech that started 0-2 and then ran the table. Uh, once in 95 and then again uh, later in the ACC, it happened as well. And, and so those teams were really special. Uh, you know, I think we had, we, we might, we had teams more talented. Like, I'm thinking like the 2 3 team. You know, they, they might have had more NFL guys. They might have been more talented. But I, I would say 95 uh, might still be my favorite team because of the, the characters who were on that team. Now, I, you know, that was a long time ago, right? So that was 25 years ago. So... I was close for an age to those guys, and so I was probably closer to them. And now that they've got kids, I know I know their wives and kids and whatnot. But I I, I think even to this day, the the '95 team, and then the '95 men's basketball team, you know, amazing guys. Uh, I mentioned that team earlier that won the NIT. Bill Foster. We only had seven scholarship players on that team, and they won the NIT. So if you can imagine, there's five guys on the court, and there's two dudes sitting on the bench, and that was it. And 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 that team won the NIT. I, I remember Tech played Tennessee on the road in men's basketball that year, and uh, we only had seven guys dressed out, even, even for whatever reason, no walk-ons. And during the layup line, it, I think Tennessee dressed like 20 dudes, and we had seven, and and went into Knoxville and, and beat them pretty good. And so 
those those would be my favorite teams. So in the spring of 2015, you left the job and your home of 27 years to take a job out in the wild, wild west in my current hometown at the University of California, Los Angeles. What exactly went into making that very difficult decision? Well, it was a long decision in coming because the uh, the job was going to open up because the gentleman who had had that job for a long time was retiring um, in 2000, at the end of the 2014 season. So I knew it was going to be open. And I had family out there, and I knew about the job, and I knew what it paid, and I knew kind of the legacy of it from from – you know, Dick Enberg on down, the people who had had that job. And uh, I, I looked at it and we talked about it. And I talked with a lot of people uh, in the business who I trust and people in that league, people in, in that city. And and they offered me the job and I went out and and it was they welcomed me great. And even to this day, I think it was a great opportunity for me. You know, I, I'd had the same job from age 22 to age 50. And I just thought if I'm ever going to leave tech, what would it take? Because I had done some national TV stuff, which is something I always wanted to do too. But in terms of a, a full-time kind of voice of the team, uh, it doesn't get any bigger than that school. And that they've won more championships than anybody. And I always love Pauley Pavilion and the Rose Bowl and what it's about. And I, and, I, and I really believe what that school's about and what they do for student-athletes. And what they do. You know, more kids apply to UCLA than any other school in our country. And and the way they treat athletics, and it, it, it just kind of jives for everything that I'm I'm about. And... I unfortunately, didn't work. It wasn't a, it wasn't the right fit for me, but it was a great learning experience, and I'm still in touch with the people that were there and some who have left, like Coach Mora, uh, who's in TV now, and Coach Alford, who's at Nevada now. So we we, we still stay in touch. Uh, it just wasn't the right fit. So after a trip around the sun in California, it was announced that you would be returning from L.A. to Blacksburg to teach at Virginia Tech. And fun fact, I remember where I was when when I found this out, Bill. I was in the studio in Moss Art Center, and Paul Spaulding, the great Paul Spaulding, tells all of us, by the way, just in case you guys didn't already know, uh, do you guys know who Bill Roth is? Because he's coming back to teach here, and I kind of perked up and – just thought to myself, wait, what? Like, what are, you, what are you talking about? He's coming back here. He's out in California. So why did you leave UCLA after such a short amount of time? Well, the, uh, the timeline goes back to before I left because I always talked with the comm department. We had started an internship program. We had talked about starting an academic program. And I, I wasn't digging the, the, the UCLA thing and – I, I called the ESPN people and I said, "Hey, man, if I leave, if I leave UCLA, will you will you use me?" And and they said yes. And so I said, "Okay, so I, I can still do games." And so then I worked it out with Tech. What do they want to do about starting some sort of academic program? Are they willing to do this? And I flew back in in it was before the basketball season was over. I think February or March. And I met with some of the people and traded a bunch of emails with Tim Sands, our president, and. If we do this, you know, this is the way it would have to be, and this is the way it would probably work. And and we wanted to start a sports media and analytics at the time concentration, which is now a major. Uh, just five years into this, four years into this, it's now a full standalone major. Um, and and when the ESPN people said we will we will use you, we have a place for you, I thought this would be great. And and the UCLA people understood; they were happy, they were very supportive, and still are to this day. And uh, I don't have any. 
honestly, this is going to sound odd. I don't regret going out there. It just didn't fit. And if I hadn't, I would have been like, okay, I had that job offer and, and, and it, and it paid really well. And, and I turned it down because why it wasn't because, uh, why, why you got to take a chance at some point. So it's worked out great. I'm really happy with the way it's turned out. We've got this program at tech that is just awesome. Uh, UCLA has itself a terrific announcer. Tech has a terrific announcer and I'm getting to do TV. And so I think everybody's exactly where he needs to be. And it's worked out really well for everybody. You know, Bill, I graduated in 2017 and, you know, that was kind of around the time when you came back and started building all of this. And just looking back over the past couple of years and seeing it grow has been pretty impressive. Um, since then, how has the program evolved, you know, since you initially made your mark on growing the program from a concentration oh, it's been awesome. to a major? Yeah. Well, first of all, I do more mentoring than teaching. I mean, Grayson was in one of my classes or two of them. How many did you take? I ended up, I believe, by the time it was all said and done, taking four of your classes, if I'm not four mistaken. Of them. Yeah, so great. Yeah. yeah. So, so Grayson was in my clashes, uh, classes, occasionally did attend. Um, <laughs> but he'll tell you that. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, oh, you know, they're, they're, not, they're not traditional lectures. You know, I'm, I'm the atypical, atypical professor. I'm more of a coach and a mentor. It's funny. When I first came back, fellas, uh, Dr. Marlene Preston, a long time career academician, one of the most classy, intelligent people ever to work at Virginia Tech. She helped me so much. And we sat down in her office and she said, so we're going to start this program. And we went through all these things. And she had this office with all these leather books of academia and how to do this and how to do that and testing and textbooks and how to put together a syllabus and how to, how, and, and, and I was in way over my head. And then I started talking about, I think we need this, 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 this. And, and Dr. Preston who must have had seven or eight doctoral degrees, uh, she says, I just want you to know, I don't know shit about sports. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dr. Preston, the goat. She's great. And I, and I said, well, Dr. Preston, I just want you to know, I don't know shit about curriculum. <laughs> and she goes, she goes, this will be great. We're going to make a great team. And, and she, she, she's, she's the one that gets a lot of credit. And, and Dr. Bob Denton, who's believed in me, everything I've asked for, I, I said, we need this gear, we need that gear, we need new cameras, we need new mics, we need a new set. You know, sets, you know, how much do you need for a new set? I don't know, 250, 300 grand, no problem. I mean, they've, they've said yes to everything. Uh, the faculty is amazing. The people who are already there that have been in, in tech and in teaching for their careers are amazing. Um, so many really dedicated academicians who who really care about kids and, and want to help kids. They've been so helpful. They're so dedicated. And, you know, Robin Reed has been brought in too. So there's two of us who are professors of practice, meaning that we sit in the back of the faculty meeting and try to figure out what's going on. We are the outliers of this whole thing. We're on the air all the time. Kids see us on the air and then we, we bring what we are doing on the air to the classroom. So I can take what I do in the booth. Robin can take what he does in the studio and we bring it to the classes every week. And so I think it's really cool. It's unique. Uh, to Virginia Tech, and so it's been really exciting. But I can't thank the administration. Uh, Dr. Preston is retired now, but but all the way up to Tim Sands, who have been really amazing. Uh, I haven't gotten a no yet in four and a half years. With that notion in mind, how is being a professor of practice different than being in the booth? You know, you you and Robin Reed come in. How was how what has the learning curve been like with teaching as opposed to actually doing? 
I've gotten really good at at reading people's faces. So like I I look at each class kind of as like a show. Like, all right, I've got an hour and fifteen minutes here. What am I gonna do? And I kind of plan it out like that, almost like a format, like I have a show or I'm producing I'm not producing a VT Sports Today show or a bowl special. I'm producing an hour long program on whatever happens to be my topic of the day. And there's a lot of videos. I mean, you took the classes. I mean, on the boring scale, they, they, I hope they weren't a 10 on the boring scale. I, I hope we were not at all. I hope we engaged people and, and, you know, you can't stand in front of a room and talk. I can tell after about five minutes when people start to tune out, but you know, I'm used to that. You know, people turn their radios or turn their TVs off all, all the time. The, the difference here is I, I, I need you to stay. If you're a student, I need you to stay engaged for the whole time. So that's what I try to do. I throw in videos and make it more interactive. I thought that the cl- every class, and I'm not just saying this because you're here on the podcast with us, every class that I took with Bill um, was extremely interactive, and, and and I mean that. I think I was always more engaged in your classes than other comm classes that I took. Uh, I won't name names, but I love all the professors equally. Everybody in that department is fantastic, and I think it's absolutely incredible what is going on in sports journalism at Virginia Tech and what you guys have built and the fact that I was able to be a part of that with my class and and to see the young people who I still know who are there is just it's just so unbelievably cool. Well you're nice, but you know if I was teaching com law it would be boring too. No offense to anyone who teaches com law or you know t- talking about torts and libel and slander for 16 weeks is, is, you know, that's arduous. It's a lot easier to talk about, Hey, let's talk about how to do a podcast on Virginia tech recruiting. And, and then two guys go out or a guy and a girl or two girls go out and do a show and bring it back and turn it in for credit. Well, to be fair, I don't think anybody, I don't think you, Jared Woolley, Dr. Robinson, I don't think any of them could make com law fun. I mean, that's a, that's a, (laughs) that's a tough class to make fun, but I'd say you guys are, are are all doing a great job keeping the students involved, and and it's just such a fun program. It was you know, we've got a great fun. opportunity. You know, we can do. You know, there's some really great J schools out there, journalism schools out there that are doing a great job. And and for the past 50 years, you know, and even you know the last 25 years, the majority of them have been like private schools, like Syracuse and Fordham, and even Miami have done really good jobs over the years. And what we've seen over the last, I don't know, half a dozen years is schools like. Arizona State, the University of Georgia, and Virginia Tech hire professors of practice. In other words, you hire people who are still on the air, still in the business, and you bring them back. And 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 I think you know there's things that Syracuse that will always be able to do that we can't, but we can do things they can't do. And that's what I tell kids when we recruit them. You know, Syracuse doesn't have a base. You know, not only a baseball team, we got a beautiful baseball stadium, and you can broadcast every game. You know, Arizona State can do things that none of us can do. They've got a complete buy-in. Uh, they they brought in uh, Paula Bovin, who was a longtime writer for the the paper in Phoenix and, and she's running their program there and they've got complete buy-in from the Suns and the uh, Diamondbacks and the Cardinals and the hockey team, the Coyotes. And so if you're a student at Arizona state, not only are you covering the Sun Devils and Pac-12 sports, but you, but you're attending pressers of the pro teams in town. And you know, that that's really exciting. Like if you're, a, if you're a high school kid, not that I'm pitching Arizona state here, but like 10 years ago, that, that wasn't the case. Like you would never go to Arizona state. And, and I don't know that 10 years ago, if you wanted to do this, you would, you would come to tech because we've launched a, a, a digital program called 3304 Sports where kids get to get on the air and call games and do podcasts and do stand-ups and interview coaches. 
You know, when, when we do a women's basketball game at Virginia Tech, when the game is over, Kenny Brooks talks with two of our students on camera. No other school is doing that. And, and it's a real learning experience. And I, I encourage everyone to go back and, and, and look. There's a Facebook page. There's a YouTube page. There's a Twitter. And all this stuff is online, 3304 Sports. Watch how two of our juniors interviewed Kenny Brooks after, he got, after the Hokies got beat by UVA on senior day. That's a hard interview to do. And you're, they're there on the court at Castle. The Hokies had, had been, what, undefeated at home all year. And UVA comes in and, 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 and beats Tech on senior day. And then the coach has to do the interview. And, and I thought it was a great learning experience. And we can't teach that in the classroom. We can't teach the, the emotion of a potentially, in this case, Kenny was very gracious, as he's always been. But look, sometimes when you get your ass beat, the coach is pissed off. And it can be intimidating, to, and, and we talk about that all the time. Coach isn't going to come out from behind the podium and smack you. You've got to stand in there and ask questions. Don't be a fan. You can be a Hokie fan 23 hours and 55 minutes, but during the five minutes of that interview, you've got to ask real questions. And we saw that this year in, in, in some press conferences with Coach Fuente and, and, in, and in interviews after basketball games. I want our kids asking real questions. I, if, if, if the coach loves you, that's, or if the mayor loves you or if the governor loves you, you're probably not a good journalist. Uh, but if, if, the, if the person behind the podium is upset with your, your – if they're good, if they're good questions, then you're probably asking really good questions. And that's, that's – they're, they're representing us, right? They're representing the fans and the public. So that, that's what we teach them. Aside from being a professor of practice now at Tech – You've since gotten back into the booth for television uh, production with ESPN. How does it compare to radio? You know, what are the similarities? What are the differences that you would say are uh, most immediate? You don't have to wear makeup on radio. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you got to be careful. I mean, you got to be, you know, you can't, you can't have any, you can't have any nose hair. I mean, it's, it's, (laughs) I mean, the last thing you want is the producer, like, what is there a hamster living in your nose? What is that? Right? So, uh, you know, I think you know radio. You're 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 painting the picture for the audience, and I am still doing some radio. So I've done bowl games for ESPN Radio the last three years, last four years, and I did Westwood One basketball this year. So I am still doing radio, but not as much, obviously. And I love the television. It's more like being in an orchestra. Radio is like being. Imagine Dave Matthews, like what he did the other night. You met an acoustic concert where you're like playing an acoustic acoustic guitar by yeah, yourself. Loved it. And you're there, and you kind of go. But when you're when you're on television, I mean, some some games it's thirty, some games it's like forty five other people involved, depending on the game and and how big it is and how they've staffed it. There are a lot of people involved, and a, you know the producers and directors and graphics and tape and your camera people and your sideline reporter, and you spend all week talking and preparing for the games on conference calls and on group chats. What are the stories? How are we going to tell those stories? Who are we going to spotlight? Why should people care nationally? And and so you're part of a big team. It's like you're part of an orchestra. And so the play-by-play guy on television, you're kind of just the point guard. You're just setting up your analyst and you're setting up your sideline reporter or you're, you're helping your, your producer introducing a package or, or something like that. It's, it's, it's completely different but to me. It's like being part of a team and, and, it's it's more fun. It's been really neat for me after doing radio, just me and Mike for the for the most part for all those years. Now to have a, a crew of thirty or thirty five people almost every Saturday. So you have been actively recruiting 
what we call five-star recruits, just like the athletics programs do at any school, to the Virginia Tech Sports Journalism Department. What is your 30-second sales <laughs> pitch to someone who is con- considering Virginia Tech for sports journalism? And what does an official visit look like? 30-second pitch. We've got an amazing new studio at the Moss Arts Center that is nicer than most television stations in our country. And we have playing time. Well, great. So many games. We need young broadcasters. We need young women and young men that want to do this and have a passion for journalism. We've got an incredible dedicated faculty. Now, all the other things that you already know, like a great sports culture at the university, the best food on campus, the most physically fit campus, all those things that that you, you hear about the things that make being a Hokie attractive to, to, to so many people. And it isn't for everybody. I'll, I'll say this. We've had a couple of kids come in uh, that I thought were really dynamite, and they loved our program, and they said, you know what, I'm from – one kid was from New York, and he said, I, I, it's, I can't go to school here. It's like I need a major league baseball team and a subway. I, I need to be within 10 minutes of a Mets game at all times. Uh, your program's great, but there's no major league baseball here. I can't go to school here. And I said, well, you can go during the summer – and he said, no, I need to live in New York. I said, fine. So uh, he went to Hofstra, which is on Long Island, but he can get in. Um, another kid went to Miami, kind of the same thing. He, he loved our program. Uh, re- he's from Connecticut also. Uh, and and he, Miami offered him a great financial aid package. He, he likes palm trees and the beach. And who doesn't? And they've got a fine program there too. And when they added it up financially, with the financial aid he got from the university down there, he went there. So we don't get them all, um, but we're doing really well. We've got kids in our program now who I am so excited about. We've got a half a dozen kids that are either sophomores or juniors. They're going to do summer league baseball again this year. We had a sophomore this past year that did the Pulaski Yankees, which is the rookie league team in Pulaski, and we're getting them these awesome internships and reps uh, during their undergraduate days, and it's fun to work with them. That's why I say I'm more of a mentor and a coach than a professor because they're the ones that are doing the games and then they submit their tapes and I listen to it and go, here's what you need to work on. That's fantastic, Bill. It's so cool to see all the young Hokies out there in the world doing their thing. The Nolan Knights who's down in North Carolina on the air and David Cunningham is going to be in Hampton calling baseball this summer. We hope for, you know, given the, the, the state of the, the universe right now with the, with the coronavirus. But it's just it's it's amazing to see who for those who have come and for those to, <laughs> yeah, that that whole spiel reach for excellence. And there are some people out there who have come through the sports journalism program at Virginia Tech who are doing excellent work. Well, yeah, you guys built the foundation and I'm going to be counting on you to mentor and talk with our current students and future students as your careers progress. One of the things that makes a great program is the alums giving back and mentoring, and that can be helping review a resume tape or a resume or just helping someone who's depressed about his or her career path. And you guys are going to go through it. You know what we are about and because you were there at the start. And I think I, I've told you this in class a bunch of times, Grayson. It's your program. I, I'm, just, I'm just the guy kind of maybe architect or designer or whatever you want it to be. But uh, you guys are the ones that bought into this and are building it and are coming to tech and investing your future uh, into what we're trying to, to do here. And so uh, I, I'm, I'm always going to be counting on you all to give back. Absolutely. And I think that that's our responsibility, uh, just like it is with any 
former athlete who comes back and supports the football program, basketball program, baseball, softball, what have you. It's the same thing for us. We're the ones who were in the studio putting shots up, as you say, and for us to stay involved and to stay connected and to come back and be mentors and lights to the, to the younger generation is, is absolutely our responsibility. Uh, especially in with the school's motto being ut prosum that I may serve. So to transition here, we are going to transition into our lightning round. We do this with every single one of our guests. We basically just have quick little questions. They don't have to have super long, elaborate answers. And we, we're just going to run them really quickly. So first, what was your favorite memory with Coach Beamer? Because you've said, Bill, you've told me before that the only person that you've talked to as much as your father is Frank Beamer. So what's your favorite memory with him? Well, there's so many, but there was the day on the school plane where he kicked a cup of Diet Coke all over Cheryl Beamer. We were uh, <laughs> we were flying to Richmond for a hockey club dinner, and the seats on the school plane, they face each other, and, and you get really tight so that your your legs are intertwined. And, and Coach was across from Cheryl, and she was wearing this really beautiful white outfit. She always looked stunning. Richmond kickoff dinner was like one of the biggest events of the year, and like – She's the first lady of tech football. And so she was drinking this Diet Coke drink in this beautiful dress. And at some point, a coach decided to cross his legs. And he accidentally kicked this cup of soda all over Cheryl's white dress. And she's like, Frank! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. And uh, so Frank's there with napkins, and he's trying to dry her off. And he says, he goes, Honey, you, you can't even tell you're wet. And and, and I'm across from the, the late Jim Weaver, and we're like we're like biting our lips <laughs> to, to prevent from burst. It, it looked like Cheryl had been hosed down by a Coke machine. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. That is fantastic. Can't even tell. You look great, honey. Like, oh my <laughs> Oh no. I'd ne- you'd never told me that story before. That's incredible. Um, okay. So go-to restaurant in Blacksburg that's not on campus food and your favorite restaurant in Los Angeles, California. Uh, Blacksburg PKs and LA Apple Pan. Apple Pan. I'm going to have to check that out. Okay, Pat, what do you got? Who are some former players that come to mind immediately that you still keep in contact with? Players who come to mind that I still keep in contact with. Well, other than Mike Burnup, who, you know, was a former player long before me. Have we, have we discussed how much older Mike is than I am? Have we brought that? <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't think so. <laughs> that should be in the front of everyone's mind. Uh, Mike <laughs> just celebrated his 69th birthday uh, this past March. Wow. A couple weeks happy ago. Birthday, Mike. Uh, well, happy, happy birthday to my buffet buddy. Um, <laughs> you know, like... David and Jim Jackson on the basketball side, uh, we've become tight um, over the years. Brian Randall. Uh, holy smokes, I'm going to leave some people out. See, someone's going to be listening to this and say, why didn't you mention my name? There's a bunch. We've got a Facebook group of former players, um, and they invited me in and on, on to watch it. So the, the few times that I actually log on to my Facebook account, they're, they're always talking about things. Um, there, there's, there's just so many guys that, that – and they're not necessarily the big names that you would think of, uh, but Nick Cullen or Scott Friend, 
who played in the 80s, uh, people like that. And, and then obviously, you know, it's always fun to watch them, you know, give D'Angelo a hard time back and forth and chime yeah. in every now and then on, on, on something along those lines. You know, Jamon Gordon, Zabian Daldell, guys like that. Uh, Will Fuhrer, you know, uh, Will's a good friend, and they live down in Texas now. So people like that. And where did your affinity for aircraft stem from? Probably just being on planes all the time. <laughs> we, so we, we saw your tweet so much. Just about every Mike Burnup story I have involves a plane. So we, <laughs> I will tell you this one. So we're getting, we're flying. I don't know where we're flying. I, we're flying somewhere south. We, we're connecting in Atlanta. I don't know if we're going to Dallas or Miami or LA. We're, we're flying somewhere commercially, right? So I'm on, I'm on the window. I'm on the window seat. So whatever that would be, ABC F. Burnup is on the aisle. Okay, and we have a space between us. And when we sit down, there is one of those, you know, what those extendo seatbelt things are for the for the really obese passengers. It it mm. gives you it's a seatbelt extender, extendo belt, whatever it is. So I'm sitting on the window, burn ups on the aisle, and he's got this extendo belt between us. Okay, Mike thinks that's the seatbelt demo for the flight attendant. It's not the demo seatbelt. It's an actual seatbelt extender. That was Mike's first mistake, guys. His second mistake was that the full-figured woman walking down the aisle in a suit, who he assumed was a flight attendant, was not a flight <laughs> attendant. And as he walks by, he picks up the extender belt and says to this woman, Hi, I think you're going to need this. <laughs> oh, no! She oh, was mortified. I immediately pick up like the Delta Airlines magazine and hold it in front of my face and hide against the window. <laughs> so just so anyway, we fly all the time, and so we get to know flight attendants. We see some of the same ones, and we know about planes. And inevitably, inevitably on full flights, you know, there's a pilot sitting between us, and and so we talk and we learn. And so I just totally got into aviation and ways to. Make sure you always get the, the exit row, and and we've been invited up. You know, there's 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 a lot of Hokies that are pilots, and a couple times we've been on flights, and they've invited us up into the cockpit to sit down there and take a picture. It's hard to get in and out of those seats, by the way. I don't know how those guys do it. It's it's there's not a whole lot of room up there, but we've had that, and we always take a picture and and do those kind of things. So I've got a lot of respect for 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 the for the people who are in that industry. Favorite sport to call? Baseball. Baseball. Why? You can't fake your love of baseball and your talent for broadcasting. You have to really know the game. And I think, and I tell our kids this too, the best learning experience you can have, the best classroom is a baseball stadium. So I always have a baseball around. I don't know. I'm flipping one now. I always have a baseball and a baseball bat around. <laughs> Remember like Tom Cruise in uh, A Few Good Men? I think that was the movie. He always had a baseball bat. He thinks better with his baseball bat. Okay. All right. Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson, you can't handle the truth. Right. <laughs> Fair. So, Bill, uh, there's nothing better than Lane Stadium on a Saturday afternoon. But also, you know, myself, I'm a big away game guy. I love going, watching the Hokies on the road. What are some of the favorite away sports venues that you've ever traveled to and called a game at? If I could go back to one and and and, and just attend a game, it would have been, it would be an LSU night football game. Oh boy, 
That's on the bucket list. That was one. You know, I. Uh, it was always fun. Do you remember? You guys may not remember. I when Tech first joined the ACC, I remember going like to Chapel Hill, and Tech would have them outnumbered there. And mm-hmm. one time, North Carolina had to take a timeout because they couldn't call the play because Tech fans were being so loud at Keenan. Um, <laughs> I used to always like Scott Stadium. You know, it was a great way for the Hokies to go there every other year and honor the UVA seniors by being. <laughs> <laughs> no, they got us this year, didn't they? they did. no, I, I, I like you know places that really appreciate it. So like, so like we played Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Uh, Nebraska, LSU, Florida State football, Duke basketball. Um, I loved, always loved going to the Orange Bowl, not necessarily because it was the University of Miami, but because there were so many great Super Bowls. And, and I think the best NFL games ever played were on that field. Mm-hmm. And the best college game, in my opinion, ever played was on that field, the Nebraska-Miami game, the Schnellenberger-Tom Osborne National Championship game. And we had some great games there. You know, We beat the Canes in 98 on that field in, in overtime with Al Clark throwing a pass. And, and I love the Orange Bowl might have been my all-time favorite stadium. It was just old, kind of like what Fenway is now or Wrigley is now. Uh, but there was just great tradition. And, and I, I still go back to Keon Carpenter's interception return on that field or uh, Eddie Royal's touchdown reception in the, in the southeast corner at that yeah. field. Uh, just, you know, I, I went to a Marlins game a couple years ago. You know, they, they built Marlins Park right where the Orange Bowl was. And um, I walked out on the field, and I'm like, God, this is where Cornell Brown made that great play. And, and I was like, that's this is center field, but to me, this is this is where Kellen Winslow made those great plays. Mm-hmm. And I miss that stadium. Best piece of advice you've ever received: Take care of the little things, and the big things take care of themselves. Well, there you go. I think that's fantastic. Okay, so. Next section, this is actually brought to us by Billy Ray Mitchell, who is not on the episode with us today, but shout out Bill. These are his lightning round questions, quarantine edition. (laughs) So I think it's great. Current binge watch, if any. You on Netflix. Netflix. Have you watched it? I have not. I've not seen you. I've heard very, very good things about you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm going to quote Bill here because I just, I don't know (laughs) if I would ever say this, but quarantine snack that you are crushing. Classic. (laughs) Classic Bill. So you put a little ginger ale in there and you put the crown in and I've gone through Woodford. That's been my go-to here. Uh, uh, in terms of hydration, uh, Popcorn. A lot of popcorn. Okay. How about, what, about, what about for you? Honestly, I've been th- – this is really messed up, and there are some people who may never look at me the same way. I'm a big spoonful of peanut butter guy. I did that I today. I did that I, two hours ago. <laughs> sp- spoonful of peanut butter. You know, you get your protein. I'm, I, I love peanut butter. I, eat, I can eat it straight out of the jar. I'm one of those crazy people. But that's that's been a big quarantine snack, and that's why I'm, you. that's why I'm going to gain ten pounds during all this, even though I'm supposed to lose twenty this year. So we'll see. <laughs> Pat, what do you got? I've been doing a lot of uh, cocoa pebbles lately. You know, pull out the little breakfast cereal, drink up the chocolate milk when you're done. 
that and Cocoa Krispies, but I'm, I'm on Team Cocoa Pebbles. Uh, next question for you, Bill, and you kind of already uh, just touched on it, but your go-to beverages of the adult variety. So, you, we, you know, Cabernet, bourbon, are you a white wine guy, beer? Uh, Woodford Reserve and Crown. Okay. I was at, I went, I went to, uh, I'm joke, I joked about this. I was out the other day at Las Olas Liquors right down the street uh, and the, the Pouncey twins were there. I don't know if you guys know them. They played at Florida. Mike, yeah. Mike Pouncey plays for the Steelers. His twin brother plays for the Chargers and they're both NFL dudes and they're really nice guys and they're neighbors here. And they, they were, they were, they were going, they said Jack is the way to go. If you really want to, of course, they're also doing a hundred pull-ups at the home gym in between. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. house workouts. That's awesome. Yeah. Jailhouse workout, but but yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I would say Crown. Okay, Crown Royal. So during the quarantine, what are you listening to? Do you have podcasts? Are you are you listening to music? We know you're creating your own music if you follow Bill on Twitter. But uh, what are you plugging in the earbuds? Ear earpods, AirPods. <laughs> <laughs> you're just like me. I don't know what the hell they're called either. <laughs> I think I think I'm the only person. Only 25-year-old person on Earth who doesn't have AirPods at this point. You know what they're really good at? They are so good at falling out of your ear right between the couch pillows. Ooh. How does that happen? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm listening. So uh, to be honest, you know, school's in session. I'm listening to our, our kids did a lot of games this year. I'm, I'm listening to them. I'm listening to a lot of play-by-play of our Virginia Tech students and, and also some people who are already in the business and – I'm, I'm telling them to update their reel, so I'm listening to a, to a lot of that. My go-to music is a lot of piano stuff, so like Diana Krall. Um, I had the, this morning. I had the Eagles' greatest hits thing blaring in the house, the greatest album ever. By the way, that was actually a quiz question earlier this year. <laughs> um, what what is what was the greatest album ever? Eagles' <laughs> greatest hits. And the reason I put that on there is we were playing it, and it was one of those days in Blacksburg where it was like nine degrees, and only about half the kids showed up. And I said, all right, you guys deserve something for coming today. Uh, there's going to be a quiz question about the greatest album ever played, and it's the one you're listening to now. Because I always play pregame or slash preclass music, as you know, Grayson. Truth. Blare it before every class. Truth. I think what we always appreciated in your classes is you took requests. I mean, kids would, would send you their Spotify playlists, and Bill would just throw it up on the on the loudspeakers, and you'd come into class amped up, ready to go. It, it was fantastic. Made uh, made the learning environment that much better. Well, we had were you, were you in that class that we had in in uh, I can't remember the name of that room, the, one of the oldest classrooms on oh, campus. Yeah. Were you there? I was there. Went no AC, right. scorching hot. Oh my McMahon, right? Mc, McMahon Hall is it was that I don't know what it was it said do not it said do not open windows by order of President Marshall Hahn I mean that's how old the window (laughs) I I remember having to drudge up those three flights of stairs it was I mean it was like a sauna in that room and it was at the just the sphincter of campus Uh, just (laughs) at the very end of the earth uh, over there to the to the right of the drill field so yeah, definitely, definitely don't miss having to make that walk every day. We, uh, but I tell you what, now we've got beautiful classrooms at the Moss Center. The new classroom building is amazing. I can't say we we're definitely upgrading for our kids because we well first of all we have we need bigger class space. We need a hundred and fifty people in a room. Um, but the modern classrooms are immaculate. Tech, I love it. 
I would almost go back to college. Uh, not really, but uh, <laughs> I, we, we had rooms like that. I think you got a good thing going right now, but to uh, to finish this thing off, we're going to do letters from the lunch pail. Bill, if you want to stick around, a lot of these questions are for you. So these are the questions that we get from the sons and daughters on Twitter. They send them into us. So our first question today comes from Grant Watson, and he asks for Bill, what book has influenced you the most throughout your career, and what is your favorite moment from the 2006-2007 basketball team? Oh, my goodness. So what book has influenced me the most is different from what is my favorite book. Uh, Dr. Richard Carlson wrote a book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, and it's all small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff. Okay, I'm gonna have and to write small stuff. Yeah, he he wrote a series of those, but that's not my favorite book. But it, I read a lot. Um, so boy, that's like asking me my favorite pizza or my favorite burger joint. Um, what was the second one? Oh six oh seven basketball why, team. Why oh six oh seven? Not really sure. Don't know. You'd have to ask Grant Watson. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably because little Reb and. Dowdell were on that team. We that was that was that was the team that lost to uh, Southern Illinois in the second round. Is that right? Yep. That's, that's correct. Uh, that team beat Carolina and Duke on the road, right? I'm trying to. F- I think that team beat Carolina and Duke in the same week. The same, yeah, back to back on the road. That was a great team. I just, you know, Seth was so happy and. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what I'll, I'll tell you what I do remember about that season. We won a tournament in November in New York at Madison Square Garden, and Burnup interviewed Jamon on the radio after the game, and we had broken out these goofy-looking uniforms that I don't remember what color. I don't know if they were gray or whatever. And so Burnup's interviewing Jamon in the locker room at Madison Square Garden. He says, "Hey, you guys won two in a row up here in New York." He said, "What do you think of these uniforms?" And Jamon goes, "Well, don't tell anybody, but they're really itchy. I don't think any of us like them." <laughs> and it was on the air. <laughs> I, you know, and we never wore them again. I don't know what the deal was on that. Um, <laughs> Jamon was always amazing with Mike in those interviews. Um, we got a bad draw. You know, I, I, we, we had to play the same game twice. Illinois and Southern Illinois played that pack line slowdown thing. We, we'd have been better off getting up and down the floor with people. That, that, that was a really good team. But we had really good basketball back then, you know, you know, <clears throat> and I've talked about that with Seth a lot. I think, and we went to the NCAA tournament that one year and then went to, what, three or four NITs in a row, and several of those teams were number one seeds. If the, if the tournament was 68 teams, which it is now instead of 65, which it was then, I'm not so sure that Seth wouldn't have had four or five straight NCAA bids. I mean, the, the, the rules changed by expanding the tournament, and I think you know the, <laughs> we, we might have had a heck of a run there, uh, and who knows what would have happened. I, we, we, we were so close. We were so close to being so good in men's hoops, and we, we it just it just missed. Uh, there, there's about four or five things that could have happened, and, and they and, and I don't know what it is about basketball because I'm telling you, we have, we have been so close to being so good in in hoops. And when when Seth was there, the the, the things that happened before JJ coached his first game. I mean, I still go back to the if, if Montrez Harrell comes to Tech instead of Louisville with Eric Green on that team. We, we're an NCAA tournament team then, and who knows what would happen. And 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 then obviously what happened with with uh, Coach Williams leaving to go to A and M. I mean we've been so close to being so good, and we just we we 
I don't know what it is. It's the god, the god of the third metatarsal that, that seems to get us in hoops. So keeping on the uh, the hoops theme here, Chris Givens asks, it seems like the Castle Guard showed out all season long. They did. They were awesome. What do you think are the differences between the energy in Castle and the lack of interest in the student section for Lane Stadium? And what can be done to bring that same kind of energy back in the lane or at least keep these students past halftime? You know, I'm not in marketing, so I don't know. But it, it does appear to me that for, you know, for the hardcores, the people that are likely listening to this and for us, you know, we're all about everything, right? We're, we're totally invested into it emotionally and, and, and whatnot. But the majority of tech students are not. And I don't know why that is. And to me, it appears that Lane has become just a stop on the bar crawl. It, it's Center Street and then it's Lane Stadium and then it's Tots. And that's Saturday. And there may be a house party or an apartment party in the middle of that. And and once, I don't know, you tell me, you guys are more in, maybe more in touch. Maybe once the buzz wears off, it's time to go back to the parking lot. I don't I don't know. Um, but they don't stay. And 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 it's not just at tech. I've, I've talked with a lot of other people at, at ESPN. We talk about this a bunch that like uh, a couple of friends of mine that broadcast SEC games. They're like Kentucky students go to the basketball game. They get their selfie. It's on Snapchat or Instagram. And then they're out at halftime. And that's Kentucky. And, 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 and so why is that? Why, and Alabama had an issue this past year. I guess you guys know where Coach Saban was talking about, you know, why are students leaving? And, and I don't know. And, but, yeah, the Castle Guard has been great, and those kids are really invested in it. And maybe it's because they're more underclassmen. I don't know. There's, you could probably get ten different opinions on it. What do you guys think? I think there's something to be said for the organization of the Castle Guard, and maybe that's why basketball gets a bigger draw. Uh, there, there's not a lane guard or anything like that. There's nothing to, to – draw the students to the student section in lane stadium other than the opponent it would seem you know for the penn state game assuming we play it in the fall i have no doubts that that student section will be packed out for any other team mid-card acc team like a i don't know a duke or a well granted they beat us last year but no, they don't care about Duke. They're going to come for the first quarter and then dip out. Yeah, well, see, the problem is 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 that that's that's Rutgers. You know, Rutgers fills its student section for Penn State and Michigan too, and uh, everybody fills the stadium for Penn State. Right. And uh, so, or their basketball gym for for the Tar Heels or for Duke. I don't know. It's it's. I I want us to get back to where you know when people around the country now think of Tech football, they think about the entrance. Mm-hmm. They think about the entrance, and I'm like, well, we're a football. You know who else has a great entrance? Lionel Richie has a great entrance. You know, he, <laughs> it's really good. But that's not what we want to be known. I, I, anybody can do an entrance. Great point. It's a great point. It's yeah. fantastic. Brilliant. One thing I want to say, too, is like, I guess with Castle Guard – there's less seats to fill. It's easier. It's it's directly next to the dorm as opposed to all the way down the street. I don't know. Um, recency, people really want to get on board with Coach Young. Buzz built an incredible foundation. He made basketball cool again at Virginia Tech. You know, my dad and I were watching uh, highlights from the Memphis State game, and like 
the eighties. I think eighty-six. That would have been right? the eighty-six season. So this is what I don't understand. And so this is where the cultural thing happens. So like if you talk to your dad, they'll talk about the fact that that um they would sleep out for games. Like yeah. they would sleep out for Louisville tickets. There would when I first came to Virginia Tech, there were tents all the way down Washington Street. Wow. To get in. Okay. And so last year, here here we have a team. Not last year, the year before. Buzz's last year. Here we have a team that's gone to back-to-back NCAA tournaments. They're ranked in the top 15. We're in the ACC, and it's a weeknight game, and there's only 7,000 people at Castle. And I don't understand that. It's like, what changed? The university is so much bigger. Back in the 80s, there were only like 18,000 students on campus. Right. 19,000. Now there's over 30,000. We're in the ACC. They're ranked. Yet... Back then, people, they had to see Keith Colbert and Bobby Beecher play. They had to get in to see Bimbo and Dell. They would sleep out for three nights to get in. And I'm not so sure, and I love Bimbo and Dell to death, and, 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 and I know some of my best friends are guys that played on that team, that, that era from Scott Davis and Frankie Allen coached and Coach Moyer. I'm, I'm not so sure that the team we had two years ago wasn't better. Like I know it only it, the, the the team that lost to, to Duke in the Sweet Sixteen that might have been the best Virginia Tech basketball team ever, and yet why why is it taking like many plans to get people to come to games? I I don't understand why there's so many more people living there now and they didn't show. Is it a cultural thing? Is it too expensive? Do people just don't care about basketball? I don't know the I don't know the answer to that. But the Castle Guard can help change that, and so I hope they keep going because uh, I think Coach Young is is dynamite. And the ACC is a basketball league, and we can have some great memories in that building here in the next few years. People are calling him the Frank Beamer in sneakers, and I really hope he becomes that one of these days. I'm, I'm very optimistic. So moving forward, Mike Sizemore asks, I want to hear – I think that's kind of a talk about kind of a little bit, Mike. I want to hear a strategy for people to stop getting their pants slash panties in a wad – looking at star rating and most importantly, the alternatives on what happens with no college football this year. Do you think they will play in empty stadiums or just no ball altogether? Boy, I hope not. I hope we play. I hope so too. Hey, we got the best doctors. We got the best minds. We've got the best science. We've got the best people in the, I mean, the best people in the world are working on this full time, 24 seven. So let's, let's hope they come through. I agree wholeheartedly. In regards to a strategy for people to stop getting their panties in the wad, uh, with the whole Henderson recruiting and everything, guys, Rome wasn't built in a day. Virginia Tech football was not built on five-star talent. It, it was not. And if you think it was, you're lying to yourself. Tyrod Taylor and Kendall Fuller and the few five-stars that we've gotten over 20 years They've all been a bit of an anomaly. Uh, we don't consistently recruit five stars. So to be bummed out about Henderson, I get it. But let's let's realize where our expectations need to be because it's not we're not getting five stars all the time. So I hope that answers your question in that capacity, Mike. And then as far as a world without college football, I don't want to think about it. To answer your question, I do not think they will play in empty stadiums. If they, if 
I think that they will not go the WWE route and play in empty stadiums and have WrestleMania in empty stadiums. No, they will not play the season if it comes to it. So, Pat, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I feel like it's going to be an all or nothing thing. You know, you're going to have just as normal or it's not going to happen. But I don't I don't see anything, you know, in between uh, occurring. But uh, Bill, we got one more from you submitted from our Billy Ray Mitchell. Uh, from one bill to another bill, what is your typical prep for a game like? So, you know, when you find out which teams are playing, what is your process to repair? To prepare, do you have names? Do you have stories? Look for tidbits, anything like that. And um, you know, you you kind of already touched on this. Who are some of your favorite broadcasters you admired and listened to growing up? I'm going to change that a little bit and say, who are your favorite uh, broadcasters in today's day and age uh, that you see as peers, but you also look up to them, and I'm sure they look up to you as well. Really good question, Bill. Thank you. Let me think. So preparing as a broadcaster is probably similar as you do as a player or as a coach. You look at tape. You read as much as you can. It's so easy today to get online and read newspaper articles. I have a pretty good sense of what league I'll be doing, and they usually give us 12 days notice. You know, everyone knows game times don't get announced until like 12 days out, and sometimes there's that dreaded six-day window. It's the same for us as, as the announcer. Sometimes you don't know. Six days before the game, you got a pretty good idea, but but sometimes you don't know. Uh, twice this year, I didn't know what game I was doing till Sunday, which was crazy. Uh, but fortunately, it was teams that I had known before. You know, you look at tape, you talk with the announcers. So if I'm doing a... Cincinnati Bearcats game, which I've done probably five, four or five, I guess. Dan Horde is their announcer. He's a really good friend of mine, and and I'll call him and talk. And so then once once you do a game with that team, the second one it's easier. So you know, I mean, I, now I know Luke Fickle and I know his coordinators and I know the guys on the staff and I, I know my way around that athletic department and I know my way around SMU and and I, that that kind of thing. So you, once you just like doing tech, if you do the same t- team all the time, you know everybody, and that's kind of how it gets if you do the same team over and over. And from a football standpoint, I think the guys that I've learned from, how they work with their producers and how they set up their analysts and who do a great job are Jim Nance and Al Michaels. Not just their ability to call the play, uh, but their ability to work with everybody in the booth. Um, I think Mike Tirico might be the the best ever at that. and, and, and um, Mike's Ability to he's ever worked with is 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 remarkable, and so I would say those three on on the football side and on basketball. Hmm, I, I think Dan Schulman and his efficiency and his use of words. I, I I would I might go with Dan. You know, he's totally different. Everyone has his or her own taste, right? A lot of people love Gus Johnson screaming and yelling, and I'm kind of um, from a different. I look at it as the, 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 the game is the thing, not not the guy in the booth. And so uh, I, I'd, I'd probably be more on the on on the Dan Schulman side. One final question for you, Bill. This is a bonus question from my old man, Randy Wimbish. It's not, you know what, it's not even a question. He just wants you to say, and if you don't have to say it if you don't want to, could you just bless the people with one touchdown tech. Of course. <laughs> All righty. Uh, um, 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 when uh, I, I would, when I, when I finally get a COVID-19 vaccine, that might be the two words that come out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. 
yeah, touchdown tech. I uh, I uh, I can't say that. So you know, I, they asked me. You know, you're gonna. Uh, that's over. There's there is no there. I don't do that anymore. And um, if, if I, mean, I got assigned the tech spring game that got canceled, uh, I was gonna do that for ESPN. I was thinking about should I bring that back for this game, but. Um, they haven't put me on any Virginia Tech games yet, and and we've talked about it, and and they're they they have no problem using me. It just hasn't worked out yet. I think initially they were like, Bill's going to try to overcompensate his hokiness by being anti-hokey on the air, <laughs> which of course I wouldn't do, but someone could 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 interpret something right, right. Um, or the other team might go. I did a I did a game a Virginia Tech Clemson basketball game with Coach Pern on television on TV. And I talked with Coach Purnell about it because they asked Clemson before we did the game, do you mind if, if Roth does the game? And I had known Coach Purnell from, from his Radford days. Um, and he said, no, it's no problem. And I, I, I visited with him because, you know, you, you try to beat people up. You know, you, like Coach Beamer would say, you compete like heck to beat everybody. But in the ACC, everybody's kind of together, right? And I knew Ron Bradley, and I, who was one of his assistants, and, and, and they let me do it. And, but it was hard, you know, because – you don't want to show any favoritism because I did a Georgia Tech baseball series, uh, NCAA baseball tournament, and fans from both schools were like, why are you such a UGA fan? I'm like, <laughs> and then I go, why do you hate Georgia Tech so much? I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, oh Joe God. Buck, Joe Buck says that all the time. I don't hate your team. I don't hate your team. But, but the, but the biggest thing to, to do, getting back to Bill's boy, you can't mess up a name. You know, yeah. you have to, pronunciations uh that's what i tried you know that that's that's my goal and that's what i'm trying to teach our kids too thank you guys was, for having me on this was a lot of fun absolutely and one last thing if you have any shout outs that you like to give uh this this is the time to do it so we can wrap this thing up but do you have I any think, no i want to just thank you guys for doing this and and you're you're a proud alum of our program and we are proud of you grayson and i'm I'm looking forward to watching your career and see where this goes. And I'm really looking forward to uh, when the well, the three of us, when the four of us get together for my talent fee. Yeah, you let them know what it is. Well, so we when we asked Bill to do this, y'all, he said uh, we would either have to come up with a bottle of Crown or a bottle of Wood Woody Woodford Reserve that we can all share. Once the sons return to Blacksburg, all three of us, and Bill is in town as well, and we said we are happy to, more than happy to oblige for that talent fee. We are uh, going to celebrate your return from all over the country and the, the end of this pandemic in grand style. In grand style, yes, sir. Yes, sir, indeed. Cheers all right. to that. Cheers to that. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. Bill, thank you so much for coming on. We had an absolute blast. You were an unbelievable guest. Thank you so much again. Sons and daughters, we will see you next week. Right.